Welcome to Destination Sainthood. This is your journey with and to the great cloud of witnesses on WCAT Radio. I'm your host, Annabelle Mosley. I'm a poet, author, and professor of theology, and this is the show reminding us of Pope St. John Paul II's call to become a saint and do so quickly. You'll find hope and inspiration through discussions of our Catholic saints in heaven and stories of some unfinished saints on this side of heaven. Join us as we work, hope, and pray to be in that number when the saints go marching in. Welcome, God's Beloved, to another episode of Destination Sainthood. I'm your host, Annabelle Mosley, author of Sacred Braille, The Rosary as Masterpiece, available for purchase at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and enroutebooksandmedia.com. This episode will be a special one, dedicated to Jesus' grandparents, Saints Joachim and Anna, who had an important impact on the Holy Family. And we will have a special guest with us today, Francis Etheridge, author of The Prayerful Kiss, a collection of prose and poetry, a book that includes reflections on Catholic marriage and family life. But first, let us begin with a prayer to Saints Joachim and Anna. This can be found online. Good parents of the Blessed Virgin Mary, grandparents of our Savior Jesus Christ, When life seems barren, help us to trust in God's mercy. When we are confused, help us to find the way to God. When we're lost in the desert, lead us to those whom God has called us to love. When marriage seems lifeless, show us the eternal youth of the Lord. When we are selfish, teach us to cling only to that which lasts. When we are afraid, help us to trust in God. When we are ashamed, remind us that we are God's children. When we sin, lead us to do God's will. You who know God's will for husband and wife, help us to live chastely. You who know God's will for the family, keep all families close to you. You who suffered without children, intercede for all infertile couples. You who trusted in God's will, Help us to respect God's gift of fertility. You who gave birth to the Blessed Mother, inspire couples to be co-creators with God. You who taught the Mother of God, teach us to nurture children in holy instruction. You whose hearts trusted in God, hear our prayers for the intentions we hold in the silence of our hearts. 
Pray with us for the ministry of Catholic Family Life. Pray with us for the ministry of natural family planning. Pray with us for all who give their time, talent, and treasure to this good work. God of our fathers, you gave Saints Anne and Joachim the privilege of being the parents of Mary, the mother of your incarnate Son. May their prayers help us to attain the salvation you have promised to your people. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. To begin this show in tribute to the grandparents of Jesus, Saints Joachim and Anna, I'd like to share with you this poem I wrote in honor of Saints Joachim and Anna, inspired by my trip to Italy, to Padua, where I beheld in person um, the wonderful work by Giotto, including Joachim and Anna's meeting at the Golden Gate. Please do an online search for this image. It's spectacular. Joachim and Anna meeting at the Golden Gate. It's in the Arena Chapel, that beautiful chapel in Padua, and it's by Giotto. The Sacred Kiss God created man in his image. Male and female, he created them. Giotto's depiction of Joachim and Anna, meeting at the Golden Gate, where a kiss of male and female features makes one face, that is closer to the image and likeness of our Creator than husband or wife alone. Since my pilgrimage to Italy, when I first saw this painting by Giotto in Padua's Arena Chapel, I've often thought of this image of the Blessed Mother's parents, Saints Joachim and Anna, as the one that most represents what true love united by faith and hope in God looks like. It's called The Meeting at the Golden Gate, and this painting depicts the moment Joachim and Anna both knew they would be parents after so many years of not being able to have children. You can see the love between them. They were very old, too, in the picture. They're, they're elderly, but beautiful. The love depicted between them is inspirational, and that's why I gave my husband a framed print of this image on his birthday just a few months prior to the birth of our first child. I inscribed the back with a reminder of what our wedding vows called us to in each phase of life. Interestingly, when my husband and I were preparing for our marriage, we were given a booklet of Old Testament and New Testament readings applying to marriage that we were allowed to choose from for the wedding mass. And for our Old Testament reading, we chose a reading from the book of Tobit. The priest who married us told us that in the many decades he'd been marrying couples, we were the first to choose the book of Tobit. And this is the reading we chose. Tobiah said to his wife, My sister, come, let us pray and beg our Lord to grant us mercy and protection. They started to pray and beg that they might be protected. He began with these words, Blessed are you, O God of our ancestors. Blessed be your name forever and ever. Let the heavens and all your creation bless you forever. You made Adam, and you made his wife Eve, to be his helper 
and support. And from these two the human race has come. You said it is not good for the man to be alone. Let us make him a helper like himself. Now, not with lust, but with fidelity, I take this kinswoman as my wife. Send down your mercy on me and on her, and grant that we may grow old together. Bless us with children. They said together, Amen. Amen. I'd like to share with you now a poem about Tobias and Sarah from my book, A Ship to Hold the World and the Marionette's Ascent, published by Wiseblood Books. My poem begins with this reading from the Book of Tobit. Tobiah objected, however. Brother Azaria, I have heard that this woman has already been married seven times, and that her husbands died in their bridal chambers. On the very night they approached her, they died. And I have heard it said it was a demon who killed them. Raphael said to them, So now listen to me, brother. Do not give another thought to this demon, but marry Sarah. I know that tonight you will have her for your wife. When you go into the bridal chamber, take the fish's liver and heart and place them on the embers for the incense. As soon as the demon smells the odor they give off, he will flee. Then both of you pray. Tobiah and Sarah, How to Marry Death There's always something standing in the way, some rough impediment you must admit, an obstacle, a challenge, a delay. Ready to strike or fearful to commit, there's always something in the way of love. And what is in the way is always death. How well Tobiah knew this, dreaming of Sarah, whose seven husbands lost their breath forever on their wedding night as she sat waiting on the bed, cried, watched them fall. Before the honeymoon, the devotee was dead, face down, a disappointed sprawl of lust unrealized. But Tobiah knew the way to help her. He would follow through. The way to help her, he would follow through. Truly, he wanted her for who she was, a woman to support, not just subdue her fiend. He longed for her, not just because she was a widow with a gorgeous face, but he loved her as family, like the wish who had been set apart for him by grace. And so, when he was bitten by a fish, he took its liver, heart, and gall as grim incense to burn upon their wedding night. Amid the smell of brine she reached for him, the way a captured moth will flail for light. But it was only when they knelt to pray that her demon would finally fly away. That her demon would finally fly away, Tobiah trusted. He would take the chance. There's always something standing in the way, waiting to kill the fantasy, romance. There's always those who try to love you, try, but who will leave, afraid to end up dead, afraid to fight, to stay. 
and that is why Tobiah could win Sarah and behead her demon. He knew death was in the deal, but felt that she was worth it. That's the cost of loving. Dying to yourself, you heal. In giving up, you gain more than you lost. A fish's gall is smeared upon your eyes, and when the scales fall, you can see your prize. Let these images and thoughts wash over us now as I play for you a recording of Celine Dion and Andrea Bocelli singing their duet, The Prayer, a song keenly aware of that same theme that my poem captured. There's always something in the way in this life, always, always death in, in, in many forms, and it's only faith in God and the willingness to die to ourselves, take up our cross and follow our Lord's example that gets us through. The awareness of that in this beautiful song, this duet, the prayer. It contains these verses, the essence of which should be at the heart of every married couple's prayer. Guide us with your grace. Give us faith. So we'll be safe. Here now, Celine Dion and Andrea Bocelli, The Prayer. Sogniamo un mondo 
Just like every child. Just like every child. Need to find a place. Guide us with your grace. Give us faith so we'll be saved. So we have with us as a guest on the show today, Francis Etheridge, author of The Prayerful Kiss, a collection of prose and poetry. Here is a description of the book. Are a prayer and a kiss irreconcilable? This is the question Francis Etheridge examines through this medley of moments, both painful and beautiful, which are laid out as a kind of word quilt that ranges over the years of life and writing. A theme among these impressionistic accounts of life is the sharp thread of an almost endlessly repetitive pain of passing through relationships. Marriage emerges as a triumph of God, reconciling the contradiction between the prayer and the kiss. And he discovers that there's really no contradiction at all. Francis Etheridge is married with eight children, plus three in heaven. Francis is the author of Scripture, A Unique Word, and a trilogy from Truth and Truth, Volume 1, Faithful Reason, Volume 2, Faith and Reason in Dialogue, Volume 3, Faith is Married Reason, all of which are published by Cambridge Scholars Publishing. The Human Person, A Bioethical Word, The Family on Pilgrimage, God Leads Through Dead Ends, The Prayerful Kiss, and Conception, An Icon of the Beginning. All of those are published by En Route Books and Media. Thank you so much for joining us, Francis. We're blessed to have you on the show. Thank you for the opportunity. Would you begin, uh, please, by telling us a little bit about your book and what inspired you to write it? I think when a person writes about theology, and especially uh, starting from the scriptures, starting from the teachings of the church, even starting from philosophy, there's a, a possibility that the person themselves who is doing the writing can come across disembodied, abstract, as if they're not there. And I think one of the strands which led to this book is the fact that my life is an outcome of a search, and that search has been both personal as well as intellectual, as well as um, grappling with the Word of God. And so it's in a way to give flesh to the Christian life, because as you already said in uh, the introduction, this um, pilgrimage of mine 
had come out of many relationships before I married at 40. And therefore, there is a history, and a history is about the action of God in the end. Yes. And even if I thought I was uh, pursuing a, a career or trying to find what my life was about, I think uh, gradually it's become clear to me that, in fact, it's about God leading my history. And so the Prayerful Kiss is putting together poems that were written over 20 or 30 years. I did try some 20 years ago to put a collection together. But then I guess over many years, um, I've written a few more. And then um, I think it was writing the four seasons, thinking of my life and uh, family life, marriage, in terms of the four seasons, made me start again and think, well, perhaps this is a watershed, you know, having written at different times about the struggles of life, the yes. passing through of many relationships. Maybe it's now a watershed that there is 20 years of marriage and uh, 11 children, three of whom are in heaven. And therefore, maybe it's an opportunity in this watershed to draw on... Um, what life over many years looks like. So I think it's also about making Christianity accessible. You know, that you live through all kinds of traumas and difficulties and darknesses. Right. And making it, giving people an opening then into the Christian life through one's own experience. Definitely. Definitely. Do you have a favorite poem in the collection yourself? I was thinking about that, and spring is one of the the ones that started this time of uh, getting this collection together. So, um, would you like me to read it? Sure, we'd love that. Okay. So, it, in many ways, it's a it's a lovely opportunity to get together words that one can do all sorts of things with because um, it is such an incredible season. So this is the third in this season of relationship and it's called Spring Alight. Almost too lightly, slightly pulsing waves awash throughout interstellar spaces, traveling rhythms, Unimaginable, light as bright as starlight in the dawning morning, arriving early, colouring Earth's halo. Freshly blushing flowers brightening, dewdrops sparkling, warming water, planting a pulse of growth in a plant, or clothing in a moment a chilly breeze. Like laden bridesmaids, burgeoning blossoms, Spring before the leaves, floating from the trees, swirling in the breeze. Confirm the marriage of the Lamb. Yes, I, I like that one very well myself. That's, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Um, my favorite poem um, in the prayerful kiss is Christ. I would love if you would also read that one for us. And maybe then talk about it, or vice versa, whatever you prefer. But if you could just speak a bit about your inspiration for that poem. Okay. 
the um, poem was written around the time of marrying. So by then, after searching and doing many different things, I returned to theology and had been studying through a distance degree. And you know, very much as part of that would be going away on a residential weekend and sitting in the chapel and just looking at the picture of Christ that was at the far end of the chapel. And so I think in one way, although at this, this point um, I hadn't actually married, I think the question of who Christ is and how to write about him was very much in my mind because, as I say, one can um, approach a subject in a very theological way. So, for example, uh, we know in the Second Vatican Council, Christ, in a certain way, uh, united himself to each person at the Incarnation. And I think one of the desires in this poem is in some way to think about the reality of the coming of Christ in a way that strikes afresh. Because I think that expression from Gaudium et Spes, that he in a certain way united himself to each one of us, is amazing. Yes. But I think it's about how to see it afresh. So I think this is one of the problems that writing about Christ and indeed um, his mother Mary and uh, her husband Joseph, some of the problems it presents is the freshness of it, that we don't take it for granted or we don't use too familiar phrases or we find some way to express how um, the reality of being loved by God is something that is startling, is something that changes us. So shall I read it? Please, please do. Christ, a dropping flame, is sown in the earth of Mary, the sign of man. The incarnation builds a church out of family life. Christ, immersed in the family of man, is the Lamb offering a flame in the crucifixion. His blood runs down like boiling gold and splits the night's cold ground. His body, baked in affliction, is scattered like ash in the broken clay. Sown as food in the giving, his spirit falls like fire on dried-out heart. When Pentecost breaks a mountain into rain. Beg God our awakening lives, our arms outstretched like him in the work of raising a dance to his blazing return. That's very beautiful. And the language is so, so fresh and so vivid. I think that poem would be a good one for any Catholic family to um, keep almost as a prayer. Beautiful, beautiful images. Thank you. Thank you. I think this sense of him being immersed in the family of man, that he didn't yes. uh, reject 
the fact of being conceived in Mary in this mysterious way and entering into this concrete relationship between Mary and Joseph. Again, a virginal relationship, but nevertheless a marriage. And one of the um, beautiful works of St. John Paul II is Redemptoris Christoph, where he writes about it being a true marriage. And one of the things that has struck me about this is Joseph's reaction, that he was thinking about divorce, and it was a revelation that helped him to accept the coming of Christ in his marriage. And that openness to life, as difficult as it can be for us to imagine the Holy Family as being relevant to us, but that openness to life, that turning of Joseph towards the gift of Christ, seems to me to say so much about the challenge of a husband and wife coming together and accept the, accepting the family that God gives them. And so from that point of view, I think more and more the Holy Family is a family that accompanies, accompanies us in our daily life, in our own marriages. And so there are so many ways that um, the life of Christ is far from an abstraction, is far from in the past. You know, it, it's present not just, I think, in, in terms of him and the church. I think it's present also in this holy family being in the midst of our family. Oh, yes, indeed. The human family. And that's a wonderful reminder on this, the month of the holy family that we're recording this episode now. February, the Catholic month uh, that honors the Holy Family. So what an excellent reminder. Uh, Speaking a bit more uh, on that same subject, really, on page 12 and 13, you write this. Christ came to the wedding feast at Cana, not, it seems, as an afterthought about marriage, but in view of the very reality of marriage entailing his presence. In other words, the very mystery of marriage makes present the turning water into wine, our sufferings into joys. Christ comes, in other words, into the very reality of relationships, which are always in need of renewal. So, with those words in mind, Francis, what is your best advice on how to keep a marriage special, even in the midst of the daily busyness of taking care and providing for children? I think going back to the preparation for marriage, uh, we were invited to read the book of Tobit. And one of the expressions in the book of Tobit is when, well, first of all, Tobit falls in love with uh, Sarah before he's even met her. Yes. And so uh, we, we might think, well, what kind of reality does this have? And then I'm reminded of my mother. When she first met my father, she hadn't even spoken to him. They were both at the Royal College of Art. She was training as a designer. He was training as a painter. Hmm. And she went up to a workshop in the evening. And she asked the person in charge of the workshop, who can she help? And he said to her, go across and help that man over there. (laughs) Now, as she crossed the floor, she hadn't spoken to him. She felt this man 
involves the rest of her life. Wow, so she'd be helping him forever. <laughs> <laughs> she married. Yeah. She married this man that's, across the floor. Wow. Before she'd story. even spoken to him. Oh, she yes. had this sense. He was involved in the rest of her life. That's a great story. So it gives a quality to that book of Tobit because we can look at it and think, well, is it really true? You know, what does it speak of? Do people fall in love before they've even met? Well, this is an example out of um, my own family history. Now, one of the things that stood out was all the different ways that the angel came to help them. It didn't mean there weren't difficulties. Right. I mean, the father lost his work and got a, a blindness in his eye. Right. They fell out, he fell out with his wife when he thought his wife was taking uh, some food that she wasn't entitled to. Um, but one of the developments in the book is that uh, when Sarah and Tobias come together, they get up and pray. Yes. And I think this prayer, before coming together, has stayed with us right from the beginning. We took it from the book, as it were, and this has been an ingredient in our marriage, that whenever we, as husband and wife, come together, we take a random reading from the Gospel, and we pray. And in fact, on one weekend, when we were sharing this in a, or I was sharing this in a, a group sharing on a Christian retreat, one of the priests remarked, well, doesn't this, as it were, obstruct or interfere or, or come between you? And I think on the contrary, one of the ways that marriage is kept fresh, kept alive, is by invoking the help of the one who created it, so that you don't take each other for granted, that you do approach it with this sense of the holy, approach each other with this sense of the holy. I mean, uh, Tobias says, not taking my sister out of love. Yes. Sister there, he means in the common faith. And I think, actually, the Christian life has within it the capacity to renew marriage constantly. It says elsewhere that the church is renewed in her youth. And I think marriage is renewed in its vigor, in its intensity, in daily life, through the very prayers that we pray. I don't think prayer, and it comes back to the title of the book, I don't think prayer is irrelevant to the kiss being a kiss and something given and received and cherishable. And I think that's one of the deepest roots of the renewal of marriage, is the spirit of the Christian life, being kept alive. Just as we turn to God, so we are able to turn to each other. Yes. And the living word keeps our marriages alive. That's beautiful. You know, um, it's, it's interesting. I have a similar story in my marriage. When we were preparing, Mark and I were preparing to be married, and we were asked to choose what readings the priest had us. You know, he said, here's a, here's a bunch of choices for the readings you can have at your wedding mass. And we chose a reading from the book of Tobit. And he said, you're the first couple to choose that reading in my entire time as a priest. And he was an elderly, you know, he's probably 
uh, in his 70s at that point, and he'd been a priest a long time. And he said no one had ever picked it. Um, it's not a popular reading, uh, I'm, to- I'm told, even though it, in my opinion, it should be. It's so, uh, it so captures the spirit of marriage. One of the things for us we were struck by is how Tobias has to face death, um, as we all have to face to be willing to die to each other, to ourselves and to each other, how he knew that the woman he was hoping to marry, all of her husbands had died. She, they could never make it past the wedding night, right, of course. And it's in their praying together, in, his, in the holy way he approaches her, that they're able to have life. So um, to be willing, and your book definitely touches on this. I, I did see this um, thread throughout the tapestry of your book, that to have a good marriage, to have a good Christian life, you have to be willing to, um, to die, to take up your cross and to die to yourself and, and to, um, comfort to all those things in order to have the greater good of love. So, uh, I'm so glad you, you talked about that. I think it really is an essential reading that can bring, as you say, new life to marriage? Well, Edith Stein uh, spoke about marriage entailing martyrdom. Yes, oh yes. Mm -hmm. And I think she's right. You know, the the sense... Now, how each of us will encounter that may well vary. But I can remember very early on in our marriage life for example, encountering the fact that I didn't think my wife was as talkative. I didn't think she was able to talk as much as I would have liked. There seemed to be terrible silences. And I think one of the, the difficult times very early on was the birth of our first child. Grace is her name. And it was almost impossible for us to talk to each other. I mean, I was uh, gave Grace a bottle because I felt Catherine, my wife, was too exhausted to keep feeding her. But my wife took this as a threat to her motherhood, and it produced an impact, and it was almost impossible to say anything to each other. But we just went for a walk. We went um, and prayed silently, I'm sure, But in that war, it was about coming to accept the fact that the other person is not how I want them to be. Whatever the difficulties my wife was going through in terms of struggling to feed grace and being exhausted and tired, um, it was also about accepting that I wasn't understood. um, And within this, it isn't about abandoning anything. But it is about trust, because yes. at the very root of each child being conceived, I think because of this prayer that is involved, there is an act of faith. There was an act of faith. I can remember distinctly, because very early on, I was working in a laundry. It wasn't as if I was earning anything exceptional. We were in a basement flat of my parents' house. We didn't have very much money. I would get ill. Um, So there are all kinds of difficulties. But this sense of 
each time being open to the possibility of life, also being an act of faith, that God who exists and who is at the root of creating each one of us is also the one who, in his providential care, looks after us. And there is a kind of abandon to the goodness of God, but also in terms of the difficulty of marriage, renouncing, if you like, my own ideas about who I think the other person is, and discovering love to be about accepting who she is, who my wife is. And I can remember in terms of the children, you know, um, at different times working at home, uh, there was one particular time when we had, by now, uh, several children. And I was doing um, studying at home, doing a course in biblical Hebrew, among other things, or training to teach at university. And I can remember the children coming in and it kind of being like a rampage through the house and finding it really difficult <laughs> to be right. disrupted. And I can remember undergoing a change instead of ranting myself, thinking, well, actually, this is turning me out of myself to see what their needs are as they come into the house, how they need to be helped to settle down. And I think this is one of the fundamental problems for me, was marrying so late, I had no idea how selfish I was, how preoccupied with what I wanted to do, and how much I actually experienced the children as, you know, like meteorites blasting the hell out of my life, and not actually being very welcoming. And I think part of the conversion that I've gone through is not just in terms of accepting who my wife was, and in the end, seeing it, it was the gift of God that actually this silence between us also allows us to pray together. Because as much as we discuss the children and everything else that he's talking about, it also means we have time to pray together. And then also with the children, you know, being turned towards them and welcoming them and seeing how to help them, I think also showed me you know, just how profoundly unwelcoming I was and how much mm. I needed my heart to be turned towards them. As it says in one of the Gospels, you know, a father's heart is turned towards his children. I think this is definitely a work of God. Wow, that sounds like excellent. Would that be your advice to men, would you say, on how to be a good father as one who has eight living children? Would you say it's that, that turning of the heart toward the children? Indeed. And it's, it's ongoing, yes. because as the children get older, it's also about turning to them in their different needs. I mean, we've just had half-term, or we've come to the end of half-term, where the children are off school. And so, for some time now, it's been my practice not to, not to work, not to take time away from them when they're actually in the house, when they're at home. And so partly, uh, my wife will encourage them to cook with her. But partly also is the task of, well, between going out to play football, which is something they like to do, or basketball, or having their computer game, there's also the task of stimulating each one with, well, what are you going to do? What is the creative thing that you're still 
needing to find um, a goal in the day. And so one of them, for example, who likes to draw, we went through this earlier in the week, and he came to the conclusion that actually he wanted to draw a series of footballers, very much on the theme of his interests and also the fact he likes to draw. He, he bought this sketchbook with his money, and so I was so pleased to see that he actually uses it regularly that yes. I gave him the money back. I oh. gave him the price of the sketchbook. Oh, that's lovely. And so he then developed these drawings, and then we got them laminated. So I said, well, if you just stick them on the wall, they're going to tear the paper right. off them. Right. And so they, we, we took them down to the shop and got them laminated. So I think this work of the father oh. is very much about casting around to see, well, what are the needs of the family? Mm. What are the needs of my wife in terms of giving her help during the holidays so two or three of the children if not more have dedicated time to help with the cooking which is good life experience for them benefiting from my wife's expertise but also it's about extending their life skills and so it's also about me seeing how each one needs this challenge now another child um didn't had been somebody to design things on the computer, but they seemed to have uh, evaporated as, an, Ill, as a, an interest. So we discussed going out. And in the end, yesterday, several of us got the train a short distance to a city nearby and went to a museum. And, you know, there was a model dinosaur there with great big claws and people put their head under the claw and we took some photographs. And, you know, the outing was the outcome. So it's always about being aware and alert to what their needs are and whether they're not just happy, but whether they're drawing on what are the gifts that God has given them. But yes. perhaps they're overlooking them because it's easier to press a button or it's easier to be silly or it's easier just mm -hmm. to go and play football. You know, I think there is an element of challenging in being the father, challenging to help. I mean, there are chores to do, there are a distribution of chores, but I think it's more about drawing out the, the gifts that God has given us. That's beautiful. That idea of a good father drawing out the gifts God has given, of finding ways to make others feel understood, supported, and loved, reminds me of Jason Gray's song, with every act of love. These are some of the lyrics. As heaven touches earth, we bring the kingdom come. With every act of love. Jesus, help us carry you. Alive in us, your light shines through. With every act of love, we bring the kingdom. God put a million, million doors in the world for his love to walk through. One of those doors is you. Let's listen now to Jason Gray with every act of love. Sitting at the stoplight, you can't be bothered by the heart cry written on the cardboard in her hand. 
Oh, but when she looks him in the eye, his heart is broken open wide, and he feels the hand of God reach out through him. As heaven touches her. What an awesome song. With that spirit of acts of love and of seeing the gifts in others, let's recall this reading from 1 Corinthians 4-11. to There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different forms of service, but the same Lord. There are different workings, but the same God who produces all of them in everyone. To each individual the manifestation of the Spirit is given for some benefit. To one is given through the Spirit the expression of wisdom, to another the expression of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another mighty deeds, to another prophecy, to another 
discernment of spirits, to another varieties of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit produces all of these, distributing them individually to each person as he wishes. It was a great show today, God's Beloved. Thank you so much for joining us. We have more to talk about with Francis Etheridge, so he will be our guest next time, joining us for one more episode with him here on Destination Sainthood, which will be dedicated to Saints Zachary and Elizabeth. Until next time, let's remember these words from the marriage liturgy. Love is man's origin. Love is his constant calling. Love is his fulfillment in heaven. To buy my book on the rosary, Sacred Braille, the Rosary is Masterpiece, through Art, Poetry, and Reflections by Annabel Mosley, please visit barnesandnoble.com, amazon.com, or enroutebooksandmedia.com. This book of art, poetry, and reflections on the rosary is for everyone, whether you're a longtime rosary devotee or you're new to the devotion. I was inspired in prayer that the rosary is sacred braille, a tactile language of prayer that can be felt with the hands. And are we not all, to some extent, blind? Remember, the rosary, when prayed regularly, can cultivate our spiritual vision, helping us to more clearly recognize our Lord through the gift of braille, formed by simple beads. So please, pick up a copy of Sacred Braille today and share it with others. God bless you. Have a beautiful day, God's beloved. Remember, you are never alone. God is always with you. Following the words of Hebrews 12.1 Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with endurance the race set out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. God bless you, dear listeners. May we follow and someday join the great cloud of witnesses. <laughs>